Welcome to 39-Minute Conversations. Please wait for your host to begin this meeting. Your meeting is now being recorded. Okay, can you see me? Can you hear me? I can hear you. I can hear you now. I still can't see you. Okay, we're doing it. All right. Hello, how are you? Good. Let me know if you can hear my fan, if it's too loud. My AC is running because it's very hot today. Well, hold on. Let me just be quiet for a moment. Let me really take that in. Sounds okay. <laughs> I almost screamed in your ear. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it. You are a chaotic person. Um, before we get started. I do have to get through a quick read, an ad read. I hope that's okay. That's uh, if you don't just mind sitting tight for one second. I'm so sorry. Sure. Always so awkward. <laughs> this week's episode of 39 Minute Conversations is not technically presented by... You know what? Shoot. We're, we're, we're actually not doing an ad read today. Instead, we have a special announcement. There's something that I've needed to say for a while now. It's something that I think is going to blow a lot of minds out there. Might disappoint some of you, but it's something that I do have to get out. None of these ads and any of the previous 37 episodes have been official sponsors. I, I made it all up, and I know that's probably pretty disillusioning, and I hope you can forgive me for misleading you all this time, but I do have to admit that every ad has been written by me for humor or to highlight something I think is important or sometimes both, sometimes successfully, often just filling time, but none have been quote-unquote official, except, of course, Tim Arnold, the best realtor in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, timbeachrealtor at gmail.com. But that's not actually today's big announcement. Today's big announcement is that next week, episode 39, will be the end of 39-Minute Conversations Season 1. 39 episodes of 39-Minute Conversations just kind of feels right. Plus, if I go over 39 episodes, I'm going to have to pay for the pro version of this podcast, and I'm just not going to do that. I started 39-Minute Conversations because I wanted to catch up with old friends, meet new people, be social again after years of relative COVID isolation. And here's the thing. I'm kind of doing all those things on the picket line every day now. The podcast has kind of served its purpose for what I wanted it to be right now. I accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. And season two will probably happen down the road. But for now, I'm going to take some time to work on other projects. So keep an eye out for those, maybe. Maybe I'll drop some side episodes announcing them when the time is right. But next week will be the final episode of 39-Minute Conversations for a little while. I hope to return to it. I plan on returning to it. But for now, I'm just going to put my focus on some other stuff. So make sure you tune in for next week's season finale. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be different. Got some cool things planned next week. Now, that's an episode you don't want to miss. But this week, um, it's, it's going to be pretty good, too, I guess. Uh, so keep listening. And hello, I'm Brian T. Arnold, and this is 39-Minute Conversations, a podcast about reconnecting with old friends and making new ones, but I've only got 39 minutes to do it because I am not paying for Zoom Pro. My guest today, 
one of my best friends in the world. She's a filmmaker. She's an editor, a member of IOPSI, a union that has stood by us since the beginning of the WGA strike. She has served as an assistant editor on projects like BoJack Horseman, I Think You Should Leave, Inside Job, Muppets Haunted Mansion, and Undone. And again, these credits are just a matter of public record, not an endorsement of any AMPTB content right now. She also directed the short film Breathing Underwater, which was showcased at the Lone Star Film Festival and Westfield International Film Festival. And I think you can watch that online. I'll ask her about that. Please welcome my friend, Jessica Perlman. Hi, wow, what an intro. Who wrote that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you gave me a bio, but I definitely, I, 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 I picked and chose. I picked and chose. <laughs> yes, hi, happy to be here. I'm excited. I'm excited to have you. I really appreciate you doing it. I'm, I'm happy to have you on. Um, but here's the thing. I'm also a little bit nervous about this episode for uh, in that most of these episodes, I'm talking to people I haven't talked to in a while or people I haven't met yet. I talk to you at least once a week. Uh, so I feel like I know you better than I know most of my guests. So I'm hoping there's still some stuff about you that's going to surprise me. Yeah, we're going to find out. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. That's ex- okay. I'm well, a mystery, so. That's true. You're, you are absolutely a mystery. What's one thing I don't know about you right now? Just, uh, just what's something you haven't told me in our years of friendship to this point? Oh, uh, I'm not just telling you, I'm telling all your guests. So that's true. A little more. Yeah, I don't know. What's something that you don't know about me? Um, I got my car cleaned. Great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know a lot about me. Okay, fair. Great start. <laughs> <laughs> Um, during the pandemic, you and I, along with our friend Madeline, uh, have been doing like weekly FaceTimes, movie nights, TV, watching TV shows. Um, it has been something that has gotten me through this time, something I've appreciated a lot. That's, I think, when we really became as close as we are. Um, but aside from these nights that we do, how have the last few years been for you? What have you learned about yourself? How was 2023 JP different than 2019 JP? Ah, uh, that's a good question. Um, twenty nineteen JP did not know there was going to be a whole pandemic, so I was if you did, about- that would be like <laughs> such a dick move not to tell anybody. <laughs> I knew, but I didn't want to tell anyone. Um, no, I uh, you know, the whole lockdown for me was quite busy. I was working a ton and like loaded on a lot of projects. And it's sort of afforded me to be able to this year in 2023, like focus on myself uh, as an artist and my next short film that's coming that I'm working on and getting me through sort of the strike and the slowdown of other work. So yeah, I think, you know, future Jessica, past Jessica would think future Jessica, which is me, present Jessica. (laughs) all the hard work I wasn't sure if it was going to pay off or in what way it was going to pay off but um yeah I definitely did hmm. that's good do you think being busy uh helped because I definitely tried to write for first couple of years first year of the pandemic especially was just like oh this will be over soon and I'll feel creative again and life will be back to normal and it took a lot of effort to like make me feel creative and able to write again did you feel that or because you were you know, you had jobs you had to do. Did you, you know, did that yeah. not impact you as much in the same way? I didn't before, like, aside from the initial, like, what W2F, what's happening with this world um, transition into like working from home. Um, I was like working for Netflix animation at the time and they had like a really, I mean, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't 
faultless, but it was this relatively smooth transition to like working from home. So because I like never stopped the momentum because I never like was like, oh, I guess I'll wait for this whole thing to blow over. I was like still working. And yeah, I definitely am a person that needs to like maintain momentum because like the startup again is takes mm-hmm. a lot of energy. <laughs> no, I get that a hundred percent. Um I want the audience to get to know you as well as I do. So we're gonna get into a deep dive into the life of Jessica Perlman. And okay. one thing people might not know about you, I didn't know for a long time, is that you are a coda. You're a child of deaf adults. Um <laughs> You're so you're a hearing person, but you're but ASL was actually your first language. What was it like growing up uh, in that environment? Uh, I always find that question a little hard to answer because I well, I apologize. Try anyway. Well, I'm like, (laughs) well, what was it like growing up with hearing parents? Because like you know, it's one thing sure to compare. You know, like my uh, my like reality, like a home life, is so different than I think a lot of people. So I think I've spent my lifetime just being like, oh, that's different. Like every year I learn a little something new about it. But yeah, I mean, in general, it was pretty cool. It's pretty cool to like know a second language and a, a second modality of language. It accesses like different parts of communication. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it's like really attuned me to kind of communication and not like verbal communication but mm-hmm. uh yeah I, I think it has really helped me in my my directing as well I was and- gonna ask about that because we talked about that a little bit the other day like I'd love to explore that a little bit further you yeah. you talk about how you know ASL being a a visual language has maybe influenced you and maybe even maybe led you to to being a, a visual storyteller yourself in what way um I don't know. Just tell me more about that. Yeah. Um, so when everything from like your beginning of being able to be conscious is is being communicated to you visually, that tends to, for me, that ended up becoming like my main mode of like communication. So I'm like a very visual person and I have like this, um, I, I think, <laughs> I think I'm like, very different from a lot of people where I can see like the little moving thing in the corner that nobody else can see like Mm. I can see the tiniest little spider come down and I'm it's like very obvious to me it catches my attention a lot of little kind of like movements or things that most people don't notice I I immediately am attuned to because I think it's kind of like someone's trying to talk to me you know like something is moving I need I need to give them my attention you know it's almost like somebody like It sounds like there's somebody whispering to you. It's yeah. the same kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, kind of. And actually, weirdly enough, like I went to an optometrist uh, recently. And... Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. And um, they're just like doing a checkup and and the doctor was kind of like, like, okay, I'm not too concerned, but like you have like really large optical nerves and hmm. like, and it's not cause for concern if that's just how your nerves are, but like, you know, just keep an eye on it because it could be like glaucoma or whatever. And I was like, oh, okay, that's weird. And then I told my brother that. And my brother was like, that's what the doctor said to me. I have really large optical nerves. So I honestly think that like growing up in this like hyper visual way of like communicating and getting your needs met, like and everything um, has made me very like attuned visually and like absorbs Mm -hmm. visually. So you've been working out your eyes your whole life and now they're just very strong. (laughs) um large optical nerves 
<laughs> She's a keeper, folks. Large optical nerves. If that's what you're looking for. Uh, <laughs> One thing that I don't think we've talked about that I think is you've alluded to it in the past in our conversations, but I think we've gotten that deep into it and it's just kind of occurring to me now. Like, yeah, ASL, your first language, you said, I think that English, like spoken English was like, you kind of learned that from television. Is that right? Is that, how did that, how did that uh, start entering your life, I suppose? And when did you start like, oh, I can also communicate this way? Yeah, um... I don't think that it was a very conscious thing. It was sort of mm. simultaneous. So I don't really remember going like, words? What's that? <laughs> you know, my parents speak and like my mom speaks pretty well. My, my dad doesn't speak at all. Um, he turns his voice off when he signs. Uh, mm. And of course I had like grandparents and stuff like that. But I think the biggest thing that TV was, was like the cultural like introduction into like the world I am living in, the world I was born into. and. Mm-hmm. Um, because deaf culture is its own thing it has its own you know idioms it has its own value system and like structure to like even jokes you know like if I were to interpret a deaf like a sign joke to you it would make literally no sense (laughs) so so like yeah definitely raised by tv in the sense that like I was being introduced to my my own culture um Mm -hmm. that I was like uh being surrounded that I was surrounded by and not the one I was necessarily born into Hmm. and at what point I guess you know I guess when you're raised by television which I think most of us in this industry are have to be to some degree like I have (laughs) you know my parents obviously I I don't have like also like I don't have as strong of an accent as them in particular because especially my mom sorry mom you have a little bit of an accent um but I never (laughs) really did I feel like television kind of um I watched enough of that that I think I picked up my lack of accent from that so I think to a degree was anybody that like, in this... was that conscious of you to be like I want to focus on not having this accent or it just happened like that it just happened like that and I'll tell you like I remember I was working after college I worked at a uh, telecommunications company in West Virginia and a woman from New York after we got bought out some from the from New York headquarters came down and like I was talking to her about something and she was like are you from here <laughs> I was like I am. Yeah. And she's like, and somebody else was like, yeah, he's from right down the street. Like we grew up together. <laughs> like, it's just, it was, I never really had one though. And so going off of, of that idea of being kind of raised by television, at what point did you realize that this was the industry you wanted to work in, that you wanted to be a filmmaker? How old were you? When did that realization kind of hit? Um, I guess it's like a weird thing that I've always kind of known, but I never knew what it was. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, I, that might sound like really pretentious or, or <laughs> queer, but I don't know. Like, I I grew up with like a you know Jewish grandmother from New York, and she just like loved musicals. She loved Broadways, and like one of my favorite like movie going memories is going to see Chicago with her in the theaters. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I like super cherish that moment. Um, And then because of that, like I just got really interested in theater. And then because of theater, I got really interested in literature and like story. And I I really just fell into like the visual nature, like the, like theater itself is obviously visual, but um, there's like such a specific language when it comes to filmmaking and like Mm -hmm. shot, like making shots and stuff like that. And like what you're trying to say to an audience outside of the dialogue that's super interesting to me and I think that comes from you know my experience in communicating visually and then also just like the cultural aspect of like 
getting into movies and like getting really excited and like feeling connected that way and nostalgic and stuff. Were you one of those kids? I kind of was, who was like, knew you when you realized you want to be a filmmaker, were you one of those kids who uh, always had a camera around, always making your little movies? Was that who were you one of those kids? No, but I was like definitely like a performer kid though. Mm. So I remember my siblings and I would like, we put on a magic show in our garage once. <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> you're always doing like silly stuff like that. We would record our own like <laughs> we would record our own radio shows and, like make our own commercials and so it was like all about like putting it together you know as mm -hmm. a team and so it was less about like you know the traditional like I always had a camera in my hand but it was more about like let's put on something really fun and entertaining and like we think it's really cool and we want to share it you know so that's where I got from. <laughs> <laughs> At what point did you uh, decide to because you studied film in college right? At what point did you decide like this is going to be my career um and how was that kind of received by your by your family because that can be a tough you know this is a tough business not everybody loves that idea of their child like jumping into something that's this uh mm -hmm. unstable so how did that go over and uh when did you make that decision that you were going to really pursue this yeah I uh so when I started college I was double majoring in theater and film Mm -hmm. And I did that for a bit until I realized, like, I really don't want to do theater anymore. Like, I, mm -hmm. I just want to focus on film. Like, I'm kind of done with it. Like, was your New York, like, was your New York grandmother disappointed that you gave up on theater dreams? <laughs> and she had passed by then, so. But oh, that was lucky. That was good. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so I, yeah, so I, I just decided to focus on on film and. I had like it was really motivated really passionate and like I what I got through the program there was like this you know they a bunch of students come and pitch for their to like make their thesis and I was chosen it went the film went to like win some awards and so through that I was kind of like well I guess I'm like sort of doing something right here I probably would have still moved to LA even if I didn't have all those accolades mm -hmm. but um I was like yeah okay well and a bunch of my friends were moving to LA so I just figured all right now's the time like let's make it happen and as far as like being well received, um, I've honestly had like no problems with that. <laughs> That's good. And I, I think a lot of it is like a cultural thing, to be honest. Um, I don't know. I don't know. At least in like my experience, like college was, it's not so like, I don't know how to describe it, but the the thing that I get told a lot when I was growing up like oh you should be an interpreter like a lot of things that like in your deaf community try to like keep you in your deaf community and so mm. although I didn't get like pushback like no you shouldn't do that it was just sort of like oh okay like whatever <laughs> you know like oh you want to do that I don't know what that is but like go off you know so that was sort of my experience and it does take a little like explaining to them which I'm sure any but any anyone in this industry has to do with your parents but my dad's always like I hope you find that full-time job. And like, dad, I don't want that full-time job. <laughs> I work on projects and go from, from project to project. So yeah. Speaking of from project to project, good transition. Thank you for that. Um, you, uh, at what point did you start getting into editing work and assistant editing work? How did those first jobs come about? How'd you get your foot in the door there? Um, I first got into editing because I was when I was making my films and I like was forced to like team up with people who were like doing an editing track. I was just like, 
I'm just going to do it. Don't worry. Like, let me do it. I'll put your name <laughs> like but this. Like, I know how I'm supposed to do it. So I'm just going to do it. So that, so at the end of the day, it was sort of like the person who wanted to sit down and do it. It was me. So um, that's how I got into editing. And, and editing is a cool thing because you are learning like a trade. You're learning a skill. Uh, that's like, you, that is marketable that a lot of different industry needs industries need so um that's how i got into that and then how did i get my foot in the door um i don't know i think one day i was just like i want to work in animation and then it happened <laughs> like i told one person about it melanie and then she reached out to actually my neighbor now reached out to him and he was like oh i know someone who's over at bojack and we met and they were like oh yeah we're looking for an assistant so that's like how it happened <laughs> i just like <laughs> put it out there in the world and it happened that is kind of the magic of la like they say it's all about who you know and it doesn't always mean in like you know a nepo kind of way or a or even like a schmoozing kind of way it's just like oh yeah i kind of want to sometimes just get lucky with like you know somebody who happens to know somebody who happens to know somebody so that is one of the when people talk about do i have to move to la to do this you don't but those kind of just random connections to jobs don't really happen anywhere else. So it's kind of cool that you landed it that way. And then yeah. you worked your way up through that. You've been, like I said, assistant editing on Bojack, on Undone, on Muppets Haunted Mansion. And I think you should leave, which I know is one of your favorite shows. What was it like being called into work on like, oh, this is my favorite show and now I'm part of it? That's happened to me a couple of times, like with Bojack and I think you should leave. And even Muppets Haunted Mansion, like I love the Muppets, and I couldn't believe I got like got to work with Kermit and and Miss, <laughs> you know, it felt like really cool. <laughs> um, I I feel really fortunate because I know that's not the case for a lot of people, but you know, it makes it so much better when you're like going in and you're looking through footage and you're going like, oh my god, I love this! I can't believe I'm doing this! Like I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> like that's like basically <laughs> the experience. That's amazing, and um, I'm also a big fan of the Muppets. If you were Who's your Muppet? If you were a Muppet, which Muppet would you be? Because I feel uh, like I know. I love Miss Piggy. She's my favorite. She's she has the funniest lines and mm -hmm. like people. I think people like to. I don't know. I think I. I think Miss Piggy can like rub people the wrong way, but just like um, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see it. <laughs> I don't think I see myself as Miss Piggy, but Miss Piggy is definitely an inspo for sure. <laughs> what Muppet am I? What Muppet are you? You're like a Gonzo, honestly. Mm, I like that. I like Gonzo. I'm a, you do? Yeah, yeah. I like Gonzo. I people always say Fozzie. I'm like, I'm. I don't. I'm, Ooh, I'm a little more serious. I'm a little more serious than Fozzie, though. Gonzo takes his weirdness seriously. Gonzo is always out of pocket. So. <laughs> That's what you um. What it, like being an assistant editor? It can take up you know, a lot of time and it's not the dream per se. You want to be directing more. You've made a short, you're making another one. Um, do you ever feel like, for lack of a better word, just like on a track you don't want to be on or does that like, or are you thinking like, well, this experience is valuable. Like, how does that feel to kind of be on like almost an adjacent track? You know what I mean? To like the thing that you are ultimately pursuing. Yeah, I definitely have two, I'm of two minds about it. One like piece of advice I got really early on when I was an intern, um, one of the producers was like, we were just chatting, have a, having a casual conversation. 
and I told him like what my dreams and like, what I wanted to do and stuff like that and his advice was like don't climb a ladder that you don't want to be on top of and mm. so like I became really fearful and I was just like I can't like I can't do this thing because I'm going to end up here where I don't want to be you know so mm. but I think I'm like learning that it's all and it's like a sort of a new age of filmmaking and like mm-hmm. things are different than they were and like more and more you're seeing editors directing episodes and like editors becoming like the creative leads in, in storytelling so so I like shied away from assistant or from editing in general for a really long time because I was I, I was like had this fear around it mm-hmm. but like now that I'm like more now that in the past few years I've like just been like okay well this is what like I'll just do it because I I do like it <laughs> I do like it in some yeah. way so um I think it is it's like mutually beneficial I think and it, but even as an assistant editor um yeah I, I think you just get to be in a very unique position in in an editing room that not a lot of people like especially below the line people get to be and that's like in the room with producers in the room with executives like being able to build those relationships mm-hmm. um, I think is really important I think that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, I think that's very helpful. Um, we are in the middle of Hot Strike Summer, you know, WGA, SAG-AFTRA, and IOTC hasn't, you know, they can't do a sympathy strike with us. It's not allowed, but they have been so supportive of us and not crossing our picket lines has made this big difference. Um, you know, one of the things that we're fighting against is our, our we want AI protections, protections from AI. And I have seen some videos lately of like editors showing like how AI cuts into their work, like and can make their work easier. And some people are saying this is a helpful tool. Some people are saying this is how editors end up getting replaced. Uh, not speaking as an official member, as an official spokesperson for IOTSI, obviously, like what are you thinking about when you're seeing um, those kinds of, that kind of conversation? Um, I guess for me, I'm going to have my own perspective on it because I know there are some people out there not like me who are like career AEs. um, And like, that's great. We need that kind of personality. Um, But for me, I, I more quickly want to get into the creative, like the less Mm -hmm. time that I can be spending on the tedium, the more involved I can be in the creative. So like, as an assistant, if I get all my assisting work done, then like an editor can throw me a scene mm-hmm. or like, and then I can work my way up and in, in, like cutting an episode, for example. So um, like, that's kind of how it used to be. Like assistants used to be like actually mentored by their editors. And now mm-hmm. it's sort of like a technical role. And I don't, I mean, I'm good at it. <laughs> and like <laughs> I can do it, but I, I find myself like, automating stuff anyway because like I, I just can't sit there and do that because I I really want to focus on the storytelling aspect of it mm-hmm. so I think yeah I think you're saying kind of what WGA is saying that like AI is never going to be totally back in the bottle but you know if it, if we can put protections around it protect people's jobs use it as a tool then I think you know I'm personally scared of it just because I think I'm scared of what people will do with not, not I'm not scared of the technology. I don't think it's ever going to be a better writer than people. I don't think it's ever going to be a better editor than people, but I do think, um, you know, people who don't worry about better and only worry about cheaper will take advantage of that. So I think, I think hopefully, you know, we'll see some protections around AI 
that are important. And I think that might be an issue, you know, Odyssey's contract is up next year, right? So it might be more negotiations uh, on your own. Be like a huge part of the next negotiation. And it's cool, like that, you know, the above the line people are are sort of taking the lead in it because, you know, they have like more of a stake in the end products than a lot of the below the line people. So um, I remember when we IATSE was doing negotiations, I was like kind of frustrated, like, oh, like we, you know, we're more people, like we have the power as people, you know? So, um, but I realized like, you know, so like leadership sort of has to step in and, and take that leadership role. So mm-hmm. um, very fortunate to you guys for doing that. Oh, you're welcome. Um, that's what we're here <laughs> for. Um, let's move on from editing. Let's start talking about your directing work. Um, your short film, Breathing Underwater, uh, it played festivals, got picked up for distribution. How did that short film come about? How did that come to you as a director? Um, so a friend of mine, Johan, wrote it and he wrote it based off of a poem. And it's, uh, sort of like about this addiction process, like not, not like, what do you do after you've like come to terms with your addiction? Like, how do you live with this? Because you can't like totally ignore it. Um, you sort of have to like let it fully embrace your life and and you kind of release control over that so um so Johan came to me with this script and um just wanted some notes and I was like let me direct it let me direct it (laughs) (laughs) and so uh yeah so that's kind of how it happened and um we got to team up with some people over at Shane Hurlbut's company and he helped out with a lot of here and yeah so it was, it was pretty cool shane hurlbut a very um uh experienced dp cinematographer of things like terminator salvation we are marshall what was it like working you know with him on that and learning from somebody who's been in this business you know in film and tv uh and done so much good work and you know so experienced at it did you were you able to learn a lot from from him yeah, like I was working with him like in an educational context. So like everything I was doing was about like learning and teach, like listening to him teach. So like kind of like my job was to learn, which was like, <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. But yeah, no, it was, a, it was really, really cool. It actually, like a really funny story. When I was like, when I was a teenager, um, that movie came out. Oh, what's the name of that movie? Oh boy, yeah, I need more information than that. <laughs> okay, so um, it's with Kirsten Dunst. Mm-hmm. And she plays like a girl from the Palisades and she meets this guy. Is this Drive like, Me Crazy? No, that's like a long time ago. It's, um, am I spending too long the research in this? I don't know. Anyways. I, I love this. I love the silence to the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm crazy beautiful crazy beautiful is what it's called crazy no beautiful. research just just knowledge is that it crazy. i think i mean that was a movie she did i think crazy slash beautiful yes that's it hey i watched it as a teenager and i was like this movie is amazing this is like this is filmmaking oh my god and then, like, I started working for Shane, and I realized that he had shot that movie, and I was like, "Oh, my <laughs> like teenage me is like freaking out right now." So, I think like I'm realizing now that I run into these situations a lot, where like something I really like, I get to interact with. So, 
Um, so yeah, it was really cool. It's like really easy to learn from him. He's so knowledgeable and he's like so ready to share all of his knowledge. And I think that, you know, I think that's like a really cool thing. A lot of people like to gatekeep and it's like, why? <laughs> why? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, I don't know why either people just don't want to take the time or they don't want to train their uh, eventual replacements. It's, uh, it's hard. It's I, hard I, to know. Yeah, maybe They're just like not confident in really what they know. And it could be really good information. That but too. Yeah. That, like, confidence to be like anyone can do this. Could be any of that. Um, now, what did you, is it, okay, sorry. It is a beautiful looking short. Where can people check it out? Where can they see it? Um, we can go to my website, Jessica L. Perlman, P-E-R-L-M-A-N.com. It's mm-hmm. up there, or you can go to Boyish Media and find the film, um, Breathing Underwater. You can watch it there. A lot of my listeners are, I think, you know, primarily writers, maybe who have their eyes on directing one day if you had to give a quick crash course on this is what you need to know to direct a short what are you what are you what are you saying i need to just address it to me i don't know how to direct tell me what to do uh gotta <laughs> get your money that's the mm. number one problem you gotta figure out yeah so that's the thing like writing is so doable because mm-hmm. it's just you know what I mean it's just you and a paper or a laptop right mm-hmm. um, and with directing you have to bring a lot of people in and you have to like make those connections with people and get that funding and, and get that dp on, on your project it's yeah so there's an art outside of like what you see on screen to directing and it's just like getting getting it off the ground so uh my piece of advice is um, go outside and meet people. And I hate that already. Um, <laughs> I was like, that's my advice for you. <laughs> <laughs> I have read some of your writing and you're, I think you're a very good writer, but I know that's not your favorite part of the process that you consider yourself more of a director than a writer. <laughs> yeah. um, is it challenging uh, to try to find scripts that you want to make? Like, what does that look like on on your side? Because I'm the exact opposite. You know, I'm just trying to write and sell and I'm rarely trying to make something. So what's it look like on your end trying to find something to make? Yeah, I haven't had like a lot of luck of finding something to make. Like obviously with Johan, uh, Johan and um, Breathing Underwater, like, you know, I liked his script and I, that's kind of how I found it. We were just friends and he was just like, send it to me, you know, on a whim to be like, Oh, I'd love your feedback. Um, but outside of that kind of Avenue, it's like really tough to mm-hmm. find other scripts. And like, there's tons of places online that you can find them, but that's such a shot in the dark because it may be a great script, but it's not like, uh, you don't resonate with it. It's not like, it's, you're like, this is not my script. You know, this mm-hmm. is not the thing that I'm supposed to direct. So. Well, what do, what do you see in a script? Like, what attracts you to a script? What makes you read something and be like, well, I want to make this one? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, especially with a, with a short, um, it sort of has to, it has to have, like, the, the sort of the thesis statement of the sh- of the short is something that has to be like in line aligned with my like core beliefs and values about like what it means to be a creative person or what it means to be like alive in this space and time you know so more of like a philosophical like approach to it is probably something that is going to pique my interest um 
but yeah, I'm, I'm like open to all different kinds of stories. Like I made this really moody short about addiction and it's like kind of experimental. And then now I'm working on this like horror comedy thing. And um, so like genre doesn't really like define me. It's more about, um, I, I just want to, I want to be able to answer like, why are we, why this? Like, why are we doing this? Why would, why do we want to do this right here and right now? You know? So mm -hmm. if that, if that's like a compelling enough reason, then I'm like, Ooh, I'm in. What is your favorite thing about the directing process? Being on set, the having the final product or just anything in between? Like, what is your favorite part of the whole filmmaking experience? My favorite part is the shot list and the storyboards because <laughs> it's like, you really get to create and you get to like have this blue sky, you know, no budget and just going like, how do I like craft the story in this visual way that is like every shot is so important. And uh, I, I think that's where I like I come to life. It's like when I think of these like really amazing shots, I'm like, oh my God, I can't wait to get that. So that's my favorite part of hmm. the shot. This new horror comedy that you're working on, I think the I think the audience really wants to know and I want to know um what part am I playing in it um I mean we have some parts for mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. we'll have a lot of dead bodies in the Are background you, mm, my dad my dad my dad has told me in anything I make he just wants to be a dead body in it so if we can get Tim Arnold out here can oh, he be a dead body in yeah. this in your movie I'll even give him his own like moment in a shot. Like I'll I'll do like a camera pan and we'll hold on on Tim. Although okay. I think that might freak you out. I don't think you should be on set for that. <laughs> I think that's fair. Close set for that. <laughs> um, you have also, in addition to um, you know these shorts, uh, you've also done a lot of ads. You've done you did a commercial for Facebook Creative that got millions of views in the first week. Uh, do you enjoy directing on the on the ad side and the commercial side? Is that something that you enjoy? Or are you more like this is just something I need to do to go do something I want to do? Like how does that feel? Um, the the commercial stuff is tough because you know the idea you came in to pitch with like through like inadvertently through like pro production and then even into post like it ends up being like this different product you know so um which I guess is sort of true for for film but um there's just like a lot more hands in the pot and sure. a lot more accommodating and you're like less in control and you more have to answer and you more have to be like that's what you want even though we like agreed on this okay that's fine whatever you know so mm -hmm. Um, so there's a little bit of that and, but I, I've never had like a bad experience. I've never been like, oh my God, what happened? You know, but it's just, um, you know, for the Facebook one, it was like across like multiple time zones. It was like Facebook creative was out of Singapore and the mm. company we were doing the commercial for was in Australia and then we were in LA. And so, um, that was very hectic and, and crazy. Um, but you know, I kind of like that. <laughs> I'm like into that. That sounds um, like you. Uh, Jessica, we have, we have a little over a minute left. So before we start getting into the deeper philosophical questions that we end these shows with, where can people follow you if you want people following you? Anything else you want to plug before we go? This is your time. Um, you can follow me at Pearlzy, P-E-R, sorry, P-E-R-L-Z-Z-Y. That's my Instagram, my 
website is on there as well, jessicalperlman.com. Um, and that's all the socials I have. Okay, good. Good for you. Um, JP, what do you think happens after we die? Well, I'm writing this short film about this very subject. You are. Well, so you have you have some insight. Please give it to I have us. Some insight. I think there is definitely a realm of possibility where once you pass over into the next life, you have an opportunity to come back and um, live life to the fullest. No, um, yeah. What what really happens when you die? Um, Your meeting has ended. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to 39-Minute Conversations, hosted and produced by Brian T. Arnold. Music by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 License. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and tune in for new episodes, and don't forget to rate and review. If you didn't like what you heard, please don't do any of that. That's okay, too. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Stay safe and be well.